like the gate. So if you're new here with us today, we want to welcome you and say thank you for being with us. It is a privilege and an honor for us to be able to be with you today. And if you're a little confused on everything that was going on this morning and, you know, we're taking our shoes off and what in the world is happening, uh, let me tell you what's happening. We, this is what the beginning of a move of God looks like. Okay, the first four rows got that, and I love everybody in the whole building, so let me say it again and see if you can catch it. This is what the beginning of a move of God looks like. We don't always follow the calendar, the schedule, and sometimes we take our shoes off. I was making sure Pastor Kathy didn't text me right there. I saw her with her phone out, and I was making sure she's not sending me a secret message. Now, we are in the middle of a series. <laughs> she, she was texting me Marsha's name, so I wouldn't forget it. We're in the middle of a sermon series about thankful hearts. And Pastor Kathy launched, initiated that sermon series talking about staying in our story. And Pastor Songo preached the house down last week. Holy cow. This guy, what? If you get comfortable, just let Songo preach, and he makes you uncomfortable. It's like, okay, we got to bring our A game. And can I just, I, we just need to have a little fun. Is that okay? We need to have some fun. Uh, I remember when Bishop announced that Pastor Songo and Sade were going to be joining our pastoral team. And so most of us who were already on the team, we have known each other mo almost our whole adult lives. Some of us go all the way back to our teenage years. And so they're coming on. They're kind of like the new guys. You know, we have like a way we do things. We kind of have our own culture. And I'm telling y'all, the first week that Songo and Sade are coming into the ready room back here, I'm working security on the back door. And I, th I literally thought, I saw them coming, and I was like, is that, did, I got, Hey, hey, Cole, did Kim Kardashian start coming to the gate church? Who is this coming? They came in. They're so glamorous and handsome. I mean, they're a great-looking couple. And the children that these guys are cranking out. Have you seen these little guys? It's, they're perfect. They're perfect. Songo can dunk a basketball, and he's got that deep Nigerian voice and the swagger to go with it. I mean, he's literally royalty. And I'm like, I am from the holler. Y'all, I had on cowboy boots. I'm pretty sure my shirt had a hole in it that Sunday morning. And here comes Songo and Sade. I had to bring my A game. I had to go home and be like, Holly, help me. We've got to do better. <laughs> my goodness. I'm giving you guys a hard time. You know that. I mean, you are a beautiful couple. Holy cow. But I want to affirm in both of you what God is doing the word that we partook last week was only a sign and a reflection of who you are and what God is doing in you. God used you both to minister to this house last week. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you. Now, I need to give you a quick announcement before I start giving you some word. Uh, we are going to be giving away food going into the Thanksgiving holiday season. 
And so if that's something that you feel like you may need or a family member who may be in need, what we ask for you to do if you're in the sanctuary this morning is that if you will check in at the guest services information desk straight through those back middle double doors. If you'll just go there and see one of our team and our staff, they'll give you the information that you need make sure we get your information so that you can have everything that you need going into the holiday season. I'm so glad we are go to a church where we get to do that. Amen? Amen. Now, who's ready for some word? Okay, okay. Well, um, wow. I felt the presence of the Lord this morning in this house. And I want to be sensitive to that. I want to work with Him and not try to bend Him to fit my plan, my agenda, and my schedule. Can we pray before I read Scripture? I need your help to do that. Will you do that with me? So you just bow your heads right where you're at. If you don't know what to pray, you pray what I pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful and so grateful for your presence. Lord, we declare today that you are the center of everything. Lord, this universe in in physicality may revolve around the sun, but Lord, I declare this, that the universe revolves around you. You're the center, the designer, the creator of everything. Lord, if we don't have you, we're wasting our time. And so, Lord, I pray that you help me to deliver your word today, that you help me to be true to you and to the word, true to myself. Holy Spirit, I pray that you use me. Lord, what can I ever say that would change someone's life? I can't do that. But God, you can. God, your word, it changes us. It brings life. It's a compass for us. It's a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. And so, Lord, I open my heart today. You need to pray that with me. Lord, I open my heart today to receive from your word. I am in need today of a word from heaven. Lord, we pray it in all humility. Amen and amen and amen. Sarah's going to continue to play just while I read this short passage. This passage comes from Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. We have a few verses to read, but you hang with me. You're going to like this one. A Pharisee had invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus, Weeping at his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. When the host, who was a Pharisee, or the Pharisee who was the host, when he saw this, he thought to himself, if this man, thinking of Jesus, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus understood what this man was thinking, and he's going to address the thought of the Pharisee, but he does it 
by turning and having a conversation with Simon Peter, one of his disciples. So Jesus turns, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon said, speak on, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. Neither of the men had the money to pay their debt. And so the man who was holding the debt forgave both of the men, forgave the debt. Now, which one of those two debtors would love the master the most? And Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has put perfume, very costly perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But who, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus turns to the woman and says, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests marveled among themselves, saying, Who does this man think that he is, that he even forgives sins? And he said again to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's good to be thankful in your heart but there is a time that we need that thankfulness to show up and this woman who the scripture describes as sinful showed up that day deciding to show her thankfulness and her gratitude because she understood the value of a thing and so today I want to take a little bit of time and we're going to start with this story and we're going to take a long way around the mountain and we're going to end up where we started. Does that feel okay? So while we're talking about thankful hearts, being thankful, I want to talk to you today about two traps that steal our thankfulness. Does that feel okay? Okay, a few people felt that that's okay. Anybody else feel that's okay? Okay, now you're going to have to talk to me because I'm staring into the sun here, and so I can't see past about the third row. So I need you to talk to me all the way back there on the back because I can't see you waving, I can't see you jumping, I can't see you shouting. You're going to have to help me this morning. So as we're talking about thankful hearts, here's something that you need to understand, that there is a connection between our mouth and our heart. And we tend to analyze or measure these things on a linear scale. And so you're probably already thinking, well, which one comes first? And I want to give you an idea, a different way of thinking about that. One doesn't come before the other, they are linked. They reflect each other and they lead each other. And so sometimes you have to engage your heart to get your mouth in gear. 
And sometimes you got to use your mouth to get your heart in gear. Does that feel okay? So there are things that they are connected and they feed into each other. Proverbs 4 and 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. Another translation says everything flows from your heart. And so if we have a problem demonstrating, saying, giving, working thankfulness into our lives, then logic says, well, it must be an issue in the heart. Because from the heart comes all the issues of life. But Matthew 12 and 34, Jesus said this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so we can get a good read on what's, what's living, what's existing, what is the condition of your heart by listening to what's coming out of your mouth. All the folks who got into a fight on the way to church this morning Nobody's looking at you or thinking of you. Did that sting a little bit? I've done it. I've been there. Okay? Pull up in the parking lot. The ushers come to open the door. Hey, guys. Good to see y'all this morning. Blessed and highly favored. Baring your teeth when they turn their head away. But Proverbs 18 and 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And so a good thing to do if the heart is not in good condition is to use your mouth to speak, proclaim, and declare life over yourself. Does that feel okay? Now this is quite simple. I don't feel like this is new to anybody. I think most of us have probably explored this interesting dynamic in the connection between our heart and our mouth. And I would be willing to bet that most of you who are in here today, you have had your own experiences with the Lord. He's been faithful to you. You have your own testimony. My wife and I are very privileged in that we have found a lot of times that we do ministry, we do it in the realm of personal counseling, personal development, inner healing, heart ministry, whatever kind of labels you want to put on it. And here is one of the lessons that we have learned. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story, and you'll make a mistake right out of the gate if you think that that's not true, or you think that everyone has the same story. If you start thinking and saying, I've heard it all before, you're going to miss out on something unique and significant in that person's life, because we all have a story. As I'm saying that, I'm looking at some of you, and your hands are going up, you're saying, yeah, that's me. I have a story. And so most of us, when God is doing the fresh work in us, the things that our story is based on, the plot points of our own personal story, it's easy for us to be thankful in the early days while God is doing the work. I remember when I was saved. I remember when I was baptized. I remember when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember how I felt the days that were just after that. I felt like I was floating on a cloud. I felt invincible. But how do you know that acknowledging God and being thankful in the early days is not always the hard part? It becomes difficult as the months go by and as the years wear on. We start to fall into some traps. And here is how the enemy works. 
to understand how to overcome him, we need to understand his tactic. The enemy cannot stand in the way of what God wants to do. I'm going to say that again. The enemy cannot stand in the way of what God wants to do. And so at best, he's like a defensive lineman trying to stop the forward advance and progress of God's agenda. But God is infinitely more glorious and stronger and wise and capable. And so at best, he can only push for a moment. And then the scripture says, like a flood, God raises up a standard against the enemy. Let's just go ahead right there for a minute. There are some people here today, you need to be reminded that God cannot be stopped by the plan and the attack of the enemy. When God wants you to succeed, nothing can stop you. And so the enemy to try to distract us and dissuade us, to get us to take our eye off the ball, he does to us what he did to Peter. When Peter goes to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm, and Peter just for a moment defies the rules of nature, and he's walking on water with Jesus. The wind blows harder. The, the rain is stinging against his face, but Peter is walking on top of the water. And it says that when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started to look at the circumstances of that storm, he began to what? Sink like a rock. Don't you know that that's how the enemy gets to us? You can be right in the middle of your story. You can be right where God wants you to be. You can be in the marriage that he wants you to be in. You can be in the job that He wants you to be in. You can be in the church where He wants you to be. But the enemy will use circumstances that are loud and scary, big booming noises. And he, what does he do? He tries to get us to take our eye off the ball. To take our eyes off of what is most important. Because isn't that the nature of pain? If we put you on this stage and put you in a chair and I took a brand in iron like we would use on a cow. And I went to put that thing on your leg. In about 0.2 milliseconds, you would have forgotten everything that happened yesterday. You would forget what you was eating for breakfast. You would forget what your plans were for tomorrow. Because there is a kind of pain that the enemy brings against us that is blinding. It is blinding, and it's all we can see. It's all we can think about. It's all we can talk about. And so I believe this most of the time. The enemy doesn't try to give you physical pain. He tries to give you pain in the heart, pain in the soul, because then it creates this storm. And so my dad used to say this, the enemy will hit you a couple of times with a bat, and then you start to agree with him, and he gives you the bat and walks off, and you keep doing what he was doing. You keep hitting yourself. And so this narrative starts to happen on the inside of us. That's the danger of things like offense. Oh, got real quiet right there. That's the danger of things like offense because when you become focused on the one bad thing, you can't see the 50 other good things that God might be up to. You might become offended with the very person that God wants to use to help change and guide and shepherd your life. And you won't be able to receive because you don't know the value of the thing that God's given you. 
The scripture says, don't cast your pearls before swine. That means don't give the most valuable parts of yourself to someone who doesn't know the value of them. Do you want to know who else does that? God. Did you hear what I just said? God will give you His things, but He needs you to do them His way. He needs you to understand the value of a thing when He gives it to you. That's why so many of us, He let us hit rock bottom. Oh, He let us hit rock bottom so that we would start looking for the real answer. So we would start saying, God, the answer to this is not money. God, I need you to come into my life. I need something I can't buy. And God says, okay, I'll come because now you're ready to receive what you really need. And so when that pain comes, it's blurring, it's blinding. And so when pain comes, we fall into two traps. If you want to take notes, you can write these down. Two traps that we fall into when pain comes. The first trap we fall into is we forget. The little baby back there understood what a great point that was. And all of y'all were quiet as a church mouse. But little baby back there was understanding what God's saying to you. The first trap we fall into is that we forget. We might say this, we forget what He's done. We forget what He's done. My Lord have mercy. I feel like 4th of July fireworks are primed and ready inside of my little hillbilly heart right now. And here in just a minute, he's going to light the fuse. And we're going to go absolutely berserk talking about what God has done. I'll give you the second one. I'll give you a preview. That way you can be at peace knowing what's going to come. Trap number one is that we forget what he's done. Trap number two is we become familiar with who He is. Oh, my Lord. I see some of you shaking your head. My brother right there, he knows. He knows that we're about to have church. Hmm. 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 Let's do a little compare and contrast. Let's talk about forgetting. Here is why it's so dangerous if we forget what God has done, is because one of the primary ways that God primes or prepares your faith for the next level, for a new future, is by reminding you or you reminding yourself of what He's already done. How do I know this? There was this little guy named David. He was short and wiry. That means he was lean. Lean and mean. And so I personally believe he had curly hair. Okay, like long, curly hair. I used to have a friend who had curly hair like a Greek god, like a Greek statue. It was the cur curliest, reddest, Irish potato-picking hair that you've ever seen in your life. And I believe that David kind of looked like that. Long, curly hair, and he was wiry. Looked maybe like an Abercrombie model. He probably can't beat anybody up, but he looked good with his shirt off. You know what I'm talking about? And David was a wee little guy, and we have, um, we have reason to believe that he was not accepted by the family. And so he was given the odd jobs, the crap jobs, the job nobody wants to do. He was made to work third shift. And so a lot of good things happen in David's life. God picks him out to, anoint, to be anointed king because we know that David's heart toward the Lord was pure. 
And so there come a day where the king who was at the time, his name was Saul, he had fallen down on the job. And he brought the armies of Israel to war against the Philistines. The arch nemesis, the rival of Israel. The Philistines were a raiding people. So they didn't tend to grow much of their own crop. They'd let you grow it and then they'd come because they were stronger, faster, better fighters than you. And they'd beat you, whip you, kill you. And then they'd just steal what you had grown. Now there ain't nothing more frustrating than the fruits of your labor being stole from you. Anyone who's ever lost a hot water heater in the middle of December knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so Saul is hiding out with the rest of his army because every day the Philistines wake up and they have this giant named Goliath trained in war from the time of his youth. Now, we in Oklahoma, we understand that because we don't train them for war from the time of youth, but we do train them for OU football from the time that they can walk. And so what are we believing? We're going to train him up, and one day he's going to be corn-fed, and we're going to put him on the field. Booper sooner. And then little Johnny's going to run out and crush OSU. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that's how I personally think that's going to go. Just say it. Um, most OSU parents are going to put little Johnny to work building a fence instead of giving him a football, and then they think that's how they're going to win. And could you imagine being about my size? I'm 5'7", and I got boots on. Being about 5'7", and a guy who's 9 foot tall, his muscles got muscles. And he comes out every day with his armor and his shield. What does he do? He taunts God's armies. He taunts the people of God. He's mocking them. You ever wake up in the morning and you feel like the circumstances of your life are mocking you? You ever wake up on a Wednesday and you open one eye and you say, I think I'm just going to pick the comfort of my blanket rather than have to go face all this stuff that's going on in my life. You ever feel like life is mocking you, taunting you? Well, here's the power of remembering. Here comes this little guy named David, and he sees what's going on, and he sees how even King Saul, who's the biggest and we might reckon the best fighter in all of Israel, he's hiding in his tent with all the other normal G.I. Joes hiding in theirs. And that anointing that was on him, that kingly anointing started to get stirred when he saw that wicked enemy, that adversary down in that valley taunting God's people. And David starts going, what do I get if I kill him? What happens to the man that kills that giant? And someone says, well, you get to marry the king's daughter and she's good looking because the king don't marry down, he marries up. So mama, mama was good looking, the daughter's good looking, and you ain't got to pay taxes, and you get to serve in the king's household. And David said, sign me up. I'd be all right if I didn't have to pay taxes, just between me and you. So he, the word starts getting around, and David finds himself in Saul's tent trying to convince Saul to let him go out and fight Goliath in Saul's stead. And Saul says, well, son, I love you and I appreciate your heart, but I don't think you've got the goods to go out there and kill him. This is what David says. He says, well, king, you may not know this because you are riding around in your chariot getting soft, getting getting a little thick around the middle, falling down on your duties, 
And while you was getting soft, I've been living on the backside of the desert with a few sheep. And see, when nobody was looking, when nobody was watching, when nobody was handing out medals, and a lion come to get my daddy's sheep, I cinched up my loincloth, and I got my stick, and I got some rocks, and I went out there and I run that lion off. When he went to get the sheep, I grabbed him by the mane. I grabbed him by his beard, and I gave him a good whack. And I said, you can't have my sheep today, Mr. Lion. That's all funny, but I'd like to see me or you locked up in a cage with a lion and a lamb in between us and see who comes out on top. But wait, there's more. Then a bear comes, tries to get the same sheep. And the same God who helped me defeat the lion and helped me defeat the bear, he will surely be with me this day as I put this Philistine in his place who defies the armies of God. So David started reminding himself and reminding, you better catch what I'm about to say. He started reminding himself and reminding people around him that you weren't there when God was helping me to fight little battles. I was on the backside of the desert and didn't nobody give a rip about me. Didn't nobody know my name. I was playing my harp, worshiping God, smacking lions and crushing bears. The same God who kept me in the desert, he's going to keep me right here in front of all of y'all. And I'm going to run at that giant and I will take that dude's head because I remember who God was to me on the backside of the desert. I remember what he was doing through me. And the same God who did it back then, he's going to do it right now. And so it can be a lion, a bear, or a giant, but my God is with me. I wonder, is there anybody in here, do you remember? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember how you cried and he answered? Do you remember the doctor's report and God showed up and answered? Do you remember some of you, you should have been dead in the ground and here you sit today, not because you're good and perfect, but because God was faithful and God showed up. Do you remember how you cried when you were lonely and you said, God, if you'll just bring her to me, I'll take care of her. And look, there she is sitting right beside you. God was faithful. Do you remember when your womb was barren? Do you remember when your baby was sick and the doctor said they're not going to make it? I know they're running around giving you a hard time, but don't you forget who God has been to your babies. You need to remind them, remind yourself, the same God who was faithful in the desert is faithful on the battlefield. There's power in remembering. Hmm. When we forget, sometimes we start thinking that it was us who did the thing. We start to thinking that it was us who overcame and that it was by our strength. It was by our intellect alone that we have arrived where we have arrived. 
Some of us, the best blessing that we have ever had was when we hit rock bottom. Let me tell you about the beauty of rock bottom. Is that when God shows up at rock bottom, you're almost invincible in this way that nobody can take it from you. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody can take it from you. No person around you can talk you out of it. Can't no devil talk you out of what God did when you were standing in front of that giant and he towered over you and all you had was your five little rocks. Can't nobody take that from you. God forgive us if we try to take this story and we somehow make ourselves the hero. We make ourselves the central character. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be good and strong and to be reliable like a hero. But I remember this, I'm not the hero. Because I remember when I broke. I remember when I was bent. I remember when I was the one who crashed. And it was Jesus who picked me up out of miry clay and put my feet on solid ground. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you find yourself in the middle of a bunch of pain is to start to just testify. I don't know if you're feeling what I'm saying. We're not having a good old run around the church Pentecostal moment here. You need to hear what the voice of the Lord is saying. When things look dark and you don't know how it's going to happen, sometimes you have to testify. Because we don't overcome uh, through normal means. We don't overcome with our intellect because we, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Uh, our fight is not against flesh and blood. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our... And so there are some things that you and your spouse have lived through that you hadn't told your kids. And I heard the Lord tell me this specifically. So if this is you, you need to take it and do it. If it ain't you, forget I said it. But I heard the Lord tell me this morning that there are married couples in here. There are moms and dads in here. That there are parts of your story that you haven't told. Things that are difficult. Things that were embarrassing. And you haven't told your parents. You haven't told your children. And the word of the Lord was, tell them to testify. That you need to set those kids down and you need to set mom and daddy down and say, listen, I know everything is not perfect right now. I know sometimes that mom and daddy, we may argue or disagree. Sometimes we can't buy new Air Jordans and Xboxes. But let me tell you what we do have. I was talking with a dear friend recently, and this is what she said to me. I'm not afraid to lose my children. She said, because I have the doctor's reports when they told me that they would not live. I have the police reports when I had to go get them from an abusive father hiding out in the middle of an alley somewhere and God had to lead me to them. I am not afraid to lose them because it was God who gave them to me. And you need to sit down and tell your babies, baby, you can't be running around acting foolish. You can't be running around with him and you can't be running around with her and let me tell you why, because you're not normal. Because that's not who you are. Because before you could even talk, me and God was up all night praying for you, laboring for you. You were put on this earth for a purpose. 
And I'm not going to see it lost to some little mini skirt or some little dude come around. I'm not going to see you lost over this. I'm not going to see you lost down a bottle, little baby, because I've been fighting for you before you even knew what that was. You need to testify. We better keep on moving. Hmm. The second trap we fall into is familiarity. And we have an example. We fast forward that story of Saul and David. We fast forward the tape a little bit. Saul had been given specific orders from God to go and destroy the Amalekites. Saul fails in this way, that he does not obey the command of the Lord. And he spares some of the Amalekite valuables and leadership. This was not pleasant to God because this was not about warfare, this was about justice. And Saul did not carry out God's justice. God's justice is always complete and whole. It's never in part. And so Saul had embarrassed the Lord by where this is philosophy speaking, but Saul, by his disobedience, had made God a liar and had dishonored God. The prophet Samuel shows up to confront Saul. He says, Saul, what have you been doing? And so I'm going to paraphrase it for you for the sake of time. Saul refuses to repent for what he has done. He refuses to humble himself. And so this was the word of the Lord through Samuel to Saul. Saul, you have forgotten when you were little in your own eyes. Were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord has sent you on a mission and told you what to do to fight the Amalekites, and you have not obeyed. And you swooped down, got the spoils, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul replies, Well, but, but, but I have obeyed, and I went on the mission, but I only brought back the king. I destroyed some of the rest of the stuff, but I, I just brought back the king, and it was the people who took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen. And they're the ones that kept all the best things, not me. Saul would not repent and take responsibility for his actions. And the prophet Samuel goes to turn away. He basically says, look, I'm done with you and God's done with you. I'm out of here. And as Samuel turns to go, Saul reaches out in frustration and anger and he grabs Samuel's robe and the robe tears. And so Samuel turned away to go. Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord this day has torn this kingdom from you and given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. What was he saying? God is going to take this thing that you have that you think is yours and it's all about you and you think you're the big guy in the room. God is going to take all of that from you and he's not going to relent because God is not a man. He does not waver. What am I saying to us? Saul became familiar with who God was. He forgot where he was when God picked him. Saul was, the, there was a congregation of Israel was gathered together, and Saul was hiding in the back among the luggage. 
And God said, the king, the king, the next king is back there. Go get him. It was God who called Saul out from the baggage. But Saul became puffed up in his achievements. He became puffed up in how well his life was going. And he became puffed up most of all in the crown. And so God shows up and says, son, you have become familiar with who I am. See, you might be a king, but I am the king. And I raise one up and I put another down because I picked you when you were nobody. And I come to tell somebody today, don't you fall into the trap of familiarity. And the Lord wants to say to some of us, you were little in your eyes. We were little in our eyes when God looked down at you and at me. And he said, that's who I'm going to use. That's who I want. That's who I want. And he brought you in and he made a place for you and he gave you an anointing and a purpose. He gave you a gift and a calling and a grace to live and to be his servant. Don't you forget that it was God who gave it to you. See, sometimes we start to draw our security from how many zeros is in the bank account or that our name is on the parking space at the job. And you forget that it was God who came to you when you were nothing and nobody. And it was God who picked you up and raised you up. It wasn't your intellect that got you that promotion. It was God's favor on your life. It was not your ability to play the game that won your wife over. Oh, we in the kitchen now. It was not your good looks, and it was not your muscle, and it was certainly not your money. Men, we cannot fall into the trap of watching the Super Bowl halftime show and start asking questions why my lady don't look like Beyonce. Let me help you. Let me help you. She might not look like Beyonce, but I'll tell you what, Ray Ray, you ain't Jay-Z either. You just barely have been promoted down at the Tasty Freeze, and you wonder why she ain't getting her nails done. Go turn the football off, go cut some grass, and pay for her to get them nails done. Because it wasn't your humor, it wasn't your intellect, it wasn't your muscles that she fell in love with, it was your heart for God. It was God on you that attracted her to you. And don't you be forgetting that in your, in your marriage covenant is not just two, it's three because you swore with God at the altar. Sometimes you got to say, okay, boo-boo, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to get with God. I'm going to get the third member of the covenant back into the deal because that's what's keeping us together anyway. Because it's God put you together. It's God that will keep you together. Helping somebody. Helping somebody. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You're going to have to go repent over how you felt about Queen B using a bad measuring stick. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Nobody's looking at you. We don't know it's you. You just stay real still, and nobody will know. Nobody will know. Okay, preacher man, how do we break this? we got to hurry. How do we break the forgetting and the familiarity off of our lives? We do exactly what the sinful woman did. So when you forget, you have to remember. My praise team's coming. When we forget, we have to remember. 
Some of you need to tell your story. You need to write your story down on paper. This is where we were. This is what happened. And this is what God has done for us. And as you are faithful to remember, then God will be faithful to move you into your future. And now catch this one. This one is so important. How we break familiarity is by a strong, extreme showing of thankfulness. How we break familiarity is by a strong, radical, and extreme showing of thankfulness, just like the sinful woman. What did she do? What did she risk? She was willing to risk people's opinions of her. She was willing to risk what people were going to say. She was willing to risk the judgment of the religious crowd. She poured out her literal, it was her hope. That alabaster box was her dowry. That was her hope for a future. That was her hope. That was her payment for a protector and for a provider. And she busted all that on the feet of Jesus because she understood this. I can have a great husband, but he can't forgive my sins. And so sometimes a radical gift is required to break familiarity. And here is something that is so important. By by wetting his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair, she was giving an emotional demonstration out of her soul to say, Jesus, I am thankful for who you are in my life and what you have done. And so my encouragement to us today, you can stand on your feet with me. My encouragement to you today is to be honest with yourself and to ask, have I forgotten? Have I I forgotten what He has done? Have I become familiar with who He is? And if that's you, and you may say, well, I don't know, then be on the safe side. Our praise team is going to play. They're going to lead us. We're going to leave the altars open today. If you need to go, I'm going to pray over you and dismiss you and send you. But I encourage you today, if you say, I need to reacquaint myself with what God has done and who He is in my life, then we want you right where you're at, get in the aisles, get in the altar, and we want you to make a gift of worship to Him and say, God, I'm thankful for who you have been. I am thankful for who you are. Does that feel okay? So bow your heads and let me pray over you. Lord, I speak a blessing over each one today. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you'll show us what's true and what's imagined. That you will draw us close to you. Lord, we give you permission today that if we have strayed off the path, that you will show us. Lord, I welcome your word and your correction into my life today if that's necessary. And Lord, draw us with your grace. Draw us with your goodness. Draw us with your goodness. So Lord, I speak over this congregation that this week they will be whole, they will be blessed, and that the peace of God will accompany them wherever they go. That their lives are getting better. Prosperity is in their future. And Lord, I speak your peace over them in Jesus' name. Amen.